0: 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I was praying early, I guess early yesterday morning, seeking the Lord about a word, asking God to give me a message for today, and I do believe that He directed me here. This is a very special portion of scripture. It has been to many people who have walked through deep, difficult valleys, and uh, this is a passage that speaks expressly, specifically about comfort. In fact, 10 times. In just a few verses, the word comfort is used. Comfort or consolation, same word in, in, uh, in the Greek. Ten times that word is used. And I want to look this morning on the subject, the God of all comfort. I don't know what we would do. I don't know how we would face certain trials if we did not have the God of all comfort. Life is filled with suffering, isn't it? Really from beginning to end. Job chapter 14, if you know anything about the book of Job, it is a book about suffering. But in Job 14 verse 1, Job says man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. From the very beginning of life, there's trouble. I mean a baby, an infant is born into the world in tears in crying he that cometh forth like a flower and is cut down. He fleeth also as a shadow and continueth not. Job says in the previous chapter, chapter 5 and verse number 7, yet man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. Our birth to trouble is the same way that sparks shoot from a fire upward. That's the same analogy used with the way that our life seems to be pressing always towards trouble. Solomon, the wisest man to ever live apart from our Savior, once described the discontentment in life, the difficulty in life in the second chapter of Ecclesiastes in verse number 17, Therefore I hated life. you ever been there before? Because the work that is wrought under the sun is grievous unto me, for all is vanity and vexation of spirit. Yea, I hated all my labor, Which I had taken under the sun, because I should leave it unto the man that should be after me, and who knoweth whether he shall be a wise man or a fool, yet shall he have rule over all my labor wherein I have labored, and wherein I have showed myself wise under the sun. This also is vanity. Therefore, I went about to cause my heart to despair of all the labor which I took under the sun. For there is a man whose labor is in, his, is in wisdom and in knowledge and in equity. Yet to a man that hath not labored therein shall he leave it for his portion. This also is vanity and a great evil. For what hath man of all of his labor? After all these done in life, what does a man have? And of the vexation of his heart wherein he hath labored under the sun. For all his days are sorrows and his travail grief. Yea, his heart taketh not rest in the night. This is also vanity. Life is full of trouble. We're born into trouble. It's grievous. It's vanity, vexation of spirit. All of our days are sorrow and grief. And this is precisely why so many people today live in a perpetual state of depression. Because the reality of life is one of grief and sorrow and difficulty. Now, we try to mask it, to put makeup on top of it all. We try to act like that's not the reality. We try to tell ourselves that life isn't so bad. You ever had somebody who's not a believer try to comfort you? Come on, it's not so bad, but you know that it is. In fact, it's actually worse. So that kind of empty conversation, cheer up, it's not so bad, doesn't work. And we live in a culture, in a society that is constantly trying to hide the reality of how bad things are. So we ask ourselves the question, is there any hope? Will things ever be any different? Our passage today tells us that there is hope. There is hope for our dark days. There is light for the darkest hour. There is joy in the valley of grief. I was in the Netherlands just last weekend and a dear young, young Christian lady asked me, and we were in a group setting and they were asking a number of questions. And she said to me, is it possible to have joy when things are so dark? How can a believer have joy in the midst of a depressing time? I explained to her that joy was far different than what the world expresses as happiness. Happiness is based upon your circumstances. If everything is okay, if, if everybody talks to you the way that they should and everybody acts the way that they should and you don't have any financial problems and don't have any health problems, and then you're happy. Happiness is based upon your happenstance, your circumstances. Joy is based upon the truth of who God is. And that means whether you're on the mountaintop or in the valley, joy is based upon a set of promises and truths that never change. And so true joy is enduring. There is joy. There is comfort. That's why why James says, my brethren, count it all joy when you go through different kinds of tribulations. He didn't say feel it, count it. That's a legal term, know it there's comfort in our weakness and in our pain. That hope, that light, that joy, that peace, that comfort is found in one place. And we find Him in our text. the end of verse number 3, the God of all comfort. God Himself is the source of all comfort. And even if you refuse to acknowledge God, Even if today you say, I am not a believer, I reject the concept and principle of God, even your comfort is from that same God. You think about how good of a God He must be to still offer unto you little measures of comfort even when you don't believe in Him. What a good God. God is a God of comfort by nature. We are not that way. You know that? We're not that way. Sometimes we have to make ourselves do what's right, don't we? Sometimes we have to make ourselves be sympathetic or empathetic. Sometimes we have to make ourselves be compassionate. But never one time has God ever had to make himself compassionate. Never once did God ever have to try to be a God of comfort. By nature. I'm not really too keen when I preach. You should know this. I'm not really too keen with ever giving Greek words and Hebrew words because sometimes that just confuses people. But the, the Greek word for comfort is periklesis. And it literally means a call, to call near or to summon for help. It's a reference to solace that refreshes. A comfort that refreshes the soul. And there's an element of that word comfort that means to strengthen as well. So comfort is more than just soothing the hurt with sympathy, although that's part of it. Comfort is more than just putting your arm around somebody and saying it's going to be okay, although that is part of it. Comfort, the very word itself, has a healing and strengthening element to it. In fact, the Latin word for comfort is fortis. You get the idea to strengthen. Many languages are based upon the Latin language, and one of those is Spanish. And the Spanish word for strength is fuerte. Sounds like fort, forties. So comfort has a strengthening element in it. And God's intention as comforting us in all of our tribulations is not just to soothe us, but also to heal us. Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 22, the prophet says, Is there no balm in Gilead? There is, isn't there? Is there no physician? He goes on to say. Is there nobody that can heal us? But there is. I can't help when thinking about that balm in Gilead, that healing that is found in Christ. Uh, Jeremiah 8, 22 says, Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? There is a physician, a doctor. There is a medicine. And that's not found in the hands of some some expert. That's not found in the hands of some pharmacy or pharmacist. It's found in the hands of God himself. And in Revelation chapter 3, do you remember the the last of the seven churches that Jesus speaks to is the church of Laodicea? And we find ourselves in many ways in this day. But one of the the problems that that Jesus says to this church is, is that he says this, I know thy works, in verse 15, that thou art neither cold nor hot, I would, I wish you were either cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, watch this, because you say that I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not, you don't even know, that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Blind. I counsel thee, Jesus says. I, I give you some advice to buy of me gold, true riches, tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich in white raiment, the right kind of clothing, that thou mayest be clothed in that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. When thinking about the reality of comfort, how God intends to not just soothe us, but to heal us, Jesus says, I have what you need to not just soothe your blind eyes, but to make your blind eyes see. And this morning, it is God's desire not just to soothe our broken heart, but to heal it, to restore it. God doesn't just comfort us in our blindness, but He wishes to restore sight. He's the God of comfort by nature. When you look at our text, it says in verse number 3 of 2 Corinthians 1, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. This is talking about God the Father. God the Father here is referred to as the comforter. He's not just the giver of comfort. Listen carefully, this is important. God is not just the pharmacist where he dispenses comfort when you need it. But He is the source of it. He didn't get it from somewhere else and and send someone else. He Himself is the God of all comfort. It's amazing. But we also find that Jesus is the comforter. God the Father is the comforter. But in 1 John chapter 2, we're told in verse number 1, My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not, And if any man sin, we have an advocate. You know what that word advocate is? It's the same word, paraklesos. The same word as comforter. We have a comforter, someone that we can call upon. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So not only is God the Father our comforter, but Jesus is our comforter. And in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse number 14, we find again that Jesus is referred to as our comforter. Let me read it for you. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself, that's Jesus, likewise took part of the same. He took flesh and blood upon him, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, That he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. To make reconciliation for the sins of the people for in that he himself has suffered. Jesus himself has suffered. Being tempted, he is able to succor them or to comfort them that are tempted. God the Father is the comforter by nature. Jesus the Son is the comforter by nature. And we all know Jesus promised in John chapter 14 that he would send the comforter, the Holy Spirit. So God in his complete nature, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost is comforter. We sometimes think that it's the Holy Ghost that's the comforter. He is, but so is the Father. And so is the Son because it is an intrinsic part of the nature, the triune nature of God. That he is our comforter. Perfect comfort, complete comfort. And not only a comforter by nature, I love this, but we're given another hint in our text. Look at this with me. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he's not just a comforter because of who he is by nature, but as well we read that inseparably connected to the nature of God as comforter is his sovereignty. Meaning this, there's a a reason we can trust in the comfort of God, and part of that is believing and knowing that God is sovereign. Meaning this, if you didn't know that God was in control, then you might be tempted to think that all the bad things that are happening to you are are somebody else has done it, and therefore a bad, evil source is getting the best of you. If you didn't believe that God was in control, if you didn't believe that God knew what He was doing, if you didn't believe that God was on the throne, you might be tempted to think that somebody else was on the throne. There's nobody on the throne but God. God does not share His throne with anyone else. And therefore we trust that all things work together for good to them that love God and are the called according to His purpose. So the will of God, verse number 1, the Bible says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, you might overlook that, but the will of God is connected to the comfort of God. Meaning you are walking through a valley now, but it is all according to His plan. It's not an accident. It's not a mistake. God didn't mess something up. God wasn't looking the other way when something bad happened. God has a perfect will, and this is part of it. We can't maybe see it, and we can't understand it right now, but by the will of God, one reason we can count it all joy when we fall into diverse temptations is because we know, we know that the trying of your faith is working for us, working endurance, We know that God is in control, and we know he's working all things for good. And the Bible says he works all things are for your sake. Now, that's a very personal touch. All things are for your your sake. Sometimes we think, well, I know God's in control, and he has a big plan, but his plan is so big that he must not be thinking about me, and I'm just a casualty. You ever thought that? I'm just a casualty. God's doing this big plan, and I'm just a casualty. You know, he's not really thinking about me. He's, he's executing his big plan, and I just happen to be in the way. Wrong. Wrong. God does have a big plan, but he has a very small and personal plan for your life. And the Bible says all things, everything is for your sake. Your sake. Every trial, every difficulty, every burden, every sorrow, and every grief is for Your sake. Your sake. Now it's amazing that God could weave together the execution of His will and the working things good for your sake in the same breath. It's amazing. We sometimes say, you know, this is being done because it's the will of God. God does it according to His will and for our good. That's an amazing combination. I love... That verse in Jeremiah 29, I know you know it. Jeremiah 29 verse 11, I sometimes, my my mind doesn't want me to believe it. I sometimes read verses, and I know that this is the Word of God, but sometimes your heart has a hard time believing it. But Jeremiah says, God is speaking to the prophet, and God says, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you an expected end. Then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all of your heart. I know, God says, I know the thoughts that I think toward you. Let me let me just remind you this morning, you don't know the thoughts that he has towards you, but he does. And sometimes it's hard because we don't know what he's thinking. You ever thought that? God, if you you could just tell me what you're thinking, I I could handle this a whole lot more. But that's not His way. But we are called to rest in the fact that He knows what He's thinking about us. We are called to rest in this truth that He knows the thoughts that He thinks towards us, and they are good thoughts. Thoughts of peace, not of evil. And sometimes when you are put beneath the crushing and the pressing, you might be tempted to think that God's trying to hurt you, but He's not. Not thoughts of evil, but He has an expected end. He knows where He's going to take you. We looked a while ago at the, at the potter. I am the, thou art the potter, I am the clay. We looked at that, remember, a couple of weeks ago? Sometimes it's painful when God presses on, when He's making a pot, and He presses on the clay It's painful sometimes when he he has to crush us and start all over again. But he knows the image that he's making. He knows what he's after. And it's not to hurt us, but to do us good. So the Bible says in our text, bearing this in mind, he is called, verse number 2, look at it, back to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He is called, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father. Now, that's important. Just in case we are tempted to think that God's will is some cold and distant finality to all of our sorrows and emotions. We think that. We, we are inclined to think that. We are inclined to think that God is up in heaven with His blueprints, executing His will and His plan with no regard to our feelings and our emotions. That's, that's a lie. He is God, our Father. So not only is He sovereign, not only is God a sovereign God, but He's our the sovereign God and our Father. Now that's a very crucial truth to remember in connection to comfort and sorrows. Because sovereignty without fatherhood often leads to tyranny. Fathers, I want you to listen to this. Sovereignty. Just because you have power doesn't mean you're a good leader. We're about to find out whether the new king will be a good leader. Oftentimes, sovereignty or monarchy, leadership, power, if it doesn't have fatherhood, leads to total tyranny. Our God is not some, some sovereign tyrant on a throne in heaven. He's your father. And the combination of his sovereignty with his fatherhood brings, combines these, th- these trials and difficulties so that we know that God's not just doing his thing, but he loves us. Many of our misunderstandings about God hinge on failing to connect these two things, a sovereign king and a loving father. God is both, equally both. He is equally sovereign king and he's equally loving father. He's the God of all comfort, not just by nature. We we'll look at another thing in our text. He's the God of all comfort by nature and by experience. Now, I love this. I want you to get a hold of this. The Bible says in verse number 3, Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God. Paul stops in the middle of his writing this first introduction to this second letter. He stops in the middle of his introduction and he just breaks out in praise. Blessed be God. Praise God be god adoration to god blessed be god even the father of our lord jesus christ now there is a very very important connection between you receiving comfort from god your father and acknowledging that god the father was also the father of jesus christ now why is that important because jesus is the suffering savior because Jesus endured more than you and I could ever imagine. We're told in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse number 3, he is despised, Jesus is despised and rejected by men. He's a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Think about that. We sometimes say, well, that's a, uh, that's a, that's a man of great talent. That's a man of this. Well, here, Jesus is a man of sorrows. That's a man of... Uh, of intellectual, he's an intellectual man, he's a football man, he's a carpenter man. Jesus is a man of sorrows. He's acquainted with grief. Now that helps us in this way, that, this, that his God, God that, as we can see in Scripture, helped walk Jesus through the sorrows and sufferings of life and the sorrows and suffering of your sin. That same God, that same Father is your Father. I can remember growing up and I thank God for the way that I was raised. I do not despise the way that I was raised, but I can remember sometimes looking at other men and thinking, how come my father can't be like that? And sometimes, sometimes we look at the way that God so tenderly and carefully helped Jesus Christ and we look at the way that Jesus so tenderly and carefully walked and cared for people on the earth and we think, I want that. And let me tell you, you have that. If you've been born again, you have that. The same father that cared for our Savior is your father. And it's amazing. In the same verse, it says this. It says, he is even the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of mercies. Now, think about that for a moment. Why is he all of a sudden talking about mercy? Because we need mercy, don't we? Mercy is not getting what you deserve. And sometimes, let's be honest, would you look this way? Sometimes we are in the trouble, we find ourselves in trouble, not necessarily just because of circumstance, but because of our own foolishness. You ever been there before? You ever found yourself in grief and heartache and found yourself in a pickle, as we say in America? Have you ever found yourself in a difficult situation because of your own foolishness? And the Bible says in our text, in the context of comfort, that God still comforts us in our difficulty even when we were foolish. Now, I sometimes think to myself, I can't talk to God because I I deserve what I've gotten myself into. You ever felt like that? Sometimes we find ourselves in troubles because of our own foolishness, but there is still comfort even then. He's the Father of mercy, not just the God of mercy, but the Father of mercy. So his mercies are tender. And then one last thought He's the God of comfort by nature, by experience. And by promise. By promise. Because He's a God of comfort by nature. Because He is a God by experience. He knows what it is to comfort. He did. He comforted His own Son. And He comforted believers. Every child of God up until now have been comforted by God the Father. The Father of mercies. And not only that, but He he adds His promise. And He says in verse 4, Who comforteth or comforts us in all our tribulation meaning tomorrow if you have a trial come another one come don't worry he will comfort you even then it's a promise and it's a very clear promise he comforts us in all our tribulation there is no trial too little for god to comfort you in you think god oh, i got i got nothing compared to what they're dealing with. No, no, no. Every trial and every difficulty, God as a measure of comfort dispensed just the right amount for that purpose. I talked about it with the children, but look there at verse number five. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so also our consolation. What a truth. Imagine this glass. However full your glass is with suffering, then the the comfort and consolation of Christ matches it. And sometimes we think, I can't handle anymore, But you can. Because however much sorrow or grief or difficulty God gives you, He doesn't leave you to try to tackle it with what you already have now, but He promises to give you more. So if you are called to go through deeper waters than you're in right now, and more difficult things than you are in right now, don't worry, because He will give you what you need for it. We spend most of our time praying to get out of it. We spend most of our time looking for an escape route for the exit door. But God isn't trying to get you out of it. He's trying to give you more grace, more comfort, more consolation so that you can match it face on. However much if the sufferings abound, the consolation abounds. God is a God of abundance. How about that verse? Where sin did abound. Where sin was overflowing. We find something else abounding, don't we? What is that? Grace. Oh, but I've messed up. Grace. Oh, but I've done it again. Grace. I keep doing it. Grace. It's overflowing. Grace is overflowing. Your trials are increasing. His comfort's increasing. More. Continuously. Who comforted us continuously in all of our tribulation. Why? That we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble. I don't want to take too much more time, but let me just briefly we'll come to, come to that again in another time. God is so good. Here's what he does. When you're going through your difficulty, he takes care of you in such a way that you are now able to help take care of somebody else. That's amazing. He doesn't just give you enough just to squeak by and barely get by and just barely survive. He gives you so much that you're left with enough to help someone else who follows in the steps, footsteps of suffering. Some of you have walked through deep waters. And you know what it is. Well, he didn't just bring you through that to get through it. He brought you through it so you could help somebody else get through it. Who comforts us. In all of our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. Five times in one, one verse. God comforts you so that you can comfort them who are in any trouble by the same comfort that God comforted you with. Amazing. The Bible says in verse 6, Whether we be afflicted is for your consolation. And salvation which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. I'm going to stop there and take some time to look at this later. But I want to draw your attention to one last verse. Verse 10. Who delivered us from so so great a death and doth deliver in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. He will deliver you. He will deliver you. We have a God of comfort. And this morning we need him. You need Him. Don't think you can handle these trials by yourself. God never intended that. God created man to walk with Him. So when you try to walk away from God, it's an impossibility. That's why there's so many, so much, so much depression in the world, so, much, so many suicides today because people are trying to walk without God. You can't do it. You can't do it. He's the God of all comfort. Let's pray together, then we'll sing our final hymn. Lord, we thank Thee for the truth and the reality of who You are by nature, the God of all comfort. We thank Thee, Lord, that You know exactly what to do. We're thankful, Father, that our trial and our tribulation is not something new to Thee, But You know exactly what we need and how much we need. We thank Thee for the promise that when our sufferings abound, so does the consolation. We thank thee, Lord, that we can trust in these things, that we can trust in thee. Help us even now to run to the throne of grace, to the God and Father of mercy. Help us to rest in thine arms, believing, Lord, that not only is there a source of comfort there, but you want to comfort us. Help us with this, we pray, in Jesus' name.